Welcome to Den Talks, a podcast that features successful people from all walks of life taking us on the journey of self-discovery. This is Tal, and I had the pleasure of sitting with Chandres Bardwaj, one of our senior teachers at the Den. He's also a co-creator of our teacher training program and the author of the book, Break the Norms. By the way, you guys, the Dalai Lama did the forward to this. So that's pretty incredible. He's a spiritual guru and international speaker who comes from a family and long lineage of teachers, although he admits being a huge troublemaker when he was growing up in India. We cover how death played a role in his spiritual journey, though in his 20s, he took a complete left turn to work on Wall Street, and also what are the traps of spirituality? He has some incredible stories about fate that you're not going to believe, and he really has a refreshing take on spirituality that is surprisingly very practical. Make sure you stay tuned till the end, where he will lead us through a very relaxing meditation. Here with Chandresh Bardwaj. Did I say it correctly? Because I know that's the you big. You got it. You have been practicing for two years. I know, so. but still, I know that we also call him CB for those <laughs> CB. who uh, that's fun have a little bit of trouble grabbing the name. Um, Chandresh wrote the book "Break the Norms." He's right. one of our senior teachers at the Den. He is sure. a spiritual teacher, speaks, travels. I mean, you do everything as far as the spiritual world is. You're everyone's guru. I feel like now. Thank you. And you can find him everywhere. Literally, Instagram, Facebook. He's there when you need him. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, but I do want to go back because you did write this book, Break the Norms, right. and you are someone who people literally look to every day for guidance and advice and just comfort. Mm -hmm. But let's rewind a little bit because I find your history so interesting. Um, you come from a family of spiritual leaders, correct? Mm -hmm. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? Because it is incredible. Right. So I, 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 you know, come from family of teachers, but you know, a lot of people also think that when I was born, instead of crying, I started chanting mantras in hospital, which didn't happen. <laughs> you was, mean you're actually human? I'm, I'm actually human. My teachers are superhuman, not superhuman, but just actually not, human. <laughs> actually human. So, uh, but you know, what that environment gave me was just a lot of freedom to explore my journey. Uh, interesting thing is never ever my father or grandpa they told me to even sit and meditate they never told me you should meditate or you should pray you so should... that was never part of your daily upbringing at all no i it was just my own uh, you know love for it i i saw so much of uh meditation around me i just wanted i mean as much as i can remember i started doing meditation even when I was in second or third grade. And I don't know what I was doing. I would just sit and I would chant the mantras. And I would, I mean, I was doing it so much that my father had to just calm me down all the time. You don't need to do this much. Just do a five minute thing and get done with it. Now, so, did you know those mantras from just overhearing it from them or had they sat down and spoken? In to the you? beginning, I just, I would hear from them because that's what I saw all around me, honestly. It was and your language. It was, yeah. right, my, it was my language. Sanskrit was not a, a foreign language to me it was just a normal language right so I think it just happened in such an organic way and I became so obsessed with just finding the the truth behind spirituality and for a long time I was experimenting on my own I was too young and my father also thought uh, you know he's just having his face and he, he's a see someone who never forced his spirituality on anyone and he you know that includes me also but when he started seeing that I'm really going deeper into this practice and I'm sitting sometimes you know for five hours a night and I'm traveling with him to monasteries and temples and I'm sitting forever. And he had actually had to, you know, like, you know, wake me up that this is good. What's, what's happening? 
so i think that um, my dedication and my love or or simply obsession for this it, it gave him probably certain uh, motivation that uh, you know he's here to stay in this so that's when he started guiding me and there were many spiritual incidents that happened i would you know just say things that uh, for example we went to this great uh, big temple in south of india and i woke up one morning i said you know let's leave and he said why do you want to leave i said there's going to be flood in this town so i don't want to stay here and, and i was in fifth grade and he said he's, he's just probably you know he doesn't like it here so that's why he wants to go back but i you know through such a tantrum that i want to leave <laughs> so mom dad everybody had to pack and they left and as we were leaving the town there was flood like behind us and by the time we reached back home uh, his friends they were arranging a helicopter to have a search for us because all the people who were there they were just you know like they were nowhere to be found oh my god so that you know there were many incidents like that i would say something and it would have a certain meaning and that gave him uh, it scared him also a little bit but it also gave him a lot of motivation that you know i'm on to something here and uh now your your grandpa and your dad both in this world and strong leaders and teachers themselves right. did they have like moments like that as children as well uh like he, when they all talk he, about kind of their journey coming yeah. through they are did they have similar instances many i i don't remember lots of grandpa's incidents uh, obviously but my father's incidents i remember a lot he talks about lots of you know stories when he was young and he would just you know say things or do things that would come out to be big truth and that's how he started becoming popular he, when he was 18 year old 20 year old he said certain things which would end up becoming very powerful for example india never had a woman prime minister and he was probably 21 22 year old that, that's when he said indra gandhi from gandhi family shall become prime minister and it got published in a newspaper you know there were only one or two newspapers at that time and my grandfather was not like a people's person he would more, he was more like a monk he wouldn't come out uh, very often and my father was the spokesperson mainly for the spiritual part when he said it it got published in newspaper and you know a year later she became the prime minister so that's when he really hit a big high you know people that's when politicians started reaching out to him that how did you predict there was no way she would become prime minister and she she was one of the most like powerful prime minister that india has ever seen so these you know uh, th- this is like one of the big incident in his life but there were many smaller incidents which gave grandpa a certain insight that you know this guy is onto something so let's just polish him nurture him you know accordingly so our, our family has this history for sure you know of just seeing things spiritually and doing things you know in that in that way that's amazing it's it's like the family business but instead of yeah. grooming someone you have to see if they're capable of being groomed first mm-hmm. and then and then they like you said polish mm-hmm. you so and i that's so interesting so then your grandfather saw that in your dad and then did they work together i mean you were just saying kind of he was the voice for your grandfather sometimes my grandfather was a very like by the way we call him grandfather but he was grandpa's real brother but you always call him grandpa so he's like uh, right <laughs> uncle grand- yeah right grandpa my dad's like, uncle what is that connection <laughs> right my dad's uncle right but we always call call him grandpa uh, he he was a monk he never got married he you know he would live in temples for many months when he come home he has a very strict he had a very strict routine sleeping by 8 o'clock waking up at 3 a.m. you know meditating for hours and hours so he practiced his spirituality in a very uh, monk way like how you see the monks they don't yeah. you know they don't have office they don't you know uh, 
come out all the time so he would come out once a week to meet people so people wanted him more but he wasn't available as much uh, so my dad started meeting people more often and he would take guidance from father you know from grandpa so uh, they worked together in a, in a way in a collaboration but they were not in each other's journey so my grandpa did give my father the freedom that you got to take this you know teachings out because that's just how it has to be i'm not going to do that you have to be the one who will take this out and yeah go ahead no no no, no go ahead yeah. <laughs> when yeah. so how so how old were you during the flood incident oh, i was in fourth or fifth grade so you were really then. young super young i'm telling you i was just throwing tantrum uh that i want to leave and they thought i i don't like it here because it's you know it's temple uh but i'm glad they listened and uh and i remember we were driving back and my father told driver that you know let's stop we want to have tea and he said we cannot stop because i can see the the water we if we stop it's going to be trouble and we it was raining I mean you couldn't nice. script this movie any better that's like raining. high drama <laughs> it's high drama <laughs> wow and so that was the moment your dad and did he actually do say something formally to you or did you just notice no. the difference there has never been any formal uh you know training honestly like uh, it started by traveling with him he would make me do things if i go to ganges river in india he would give me his beads he would say just you know wash these beads and while you're washing do this mantra and sometimes he'll say you know take this mantra and write it on the paper like if he would want to give it to a client he would make me do it so there was a time i was still in high school and i was writing uh, spiritual guidelines for all of his clients and he was in us i was in india but he would make me do it in india he was probably outsourcing you know cutting down his labor but <laughs> but uh it what it, else is family good for <laughs> right but it gave me a lot of practice because uh he would you know tell me that this is what the person is that's what the thing is he'll do this mantra that might so he'll give me a brief outlook and I'll create the whole notes for the clients and i enjoyed doing that creating spiritual guidelines for people and it would go to new york he'll review it and then it would go to the client and he was in new york a lot yeah he he uh, started coming to new york uh, in it's been 15 years now i was in 8th grade i don't know what year would be that but i i was in 8th grade since then he's he's been super active in new york did yeah. you feel like was he gone for big periods of time did you ever was that hard for you as a kid or as a kid you know uh, uh, so i i you know i i don't remember that time but he was away for first 7 years of my life i did not see him at all probably in the first 6 or 7 years uh i'm sure it was uh, tough but i started realizing it when i came uh, when i think i i became little, you know old enough to understand he's not here and i started realizing my friends their dads they live in the city they have normal jobs or business right but my father seems unconventional he's not <laughs> home when he comes back people line up to see him and there's like politicians and those kind of people so I'm like he's he's definitely important <laughs> but he's not here also and i realized our family you know our family was you know different in in the way how people would reach out to us it was always you know guidance or people uh, my school teachers would tell me when is your dad coming back i want to see him so i never i didn't exactly you know know what he, what he he you know he was doing i i would think he's astrologer he's uh, healer or he gives people mantras so it took me a long time to understand what his actual job you know really is but my childhood was very interesting you know uh, yeah did you so speaking of your childhood did you i mean we're hearing these incredible stories 
like what other did you ever get in trouble were you ever like mischievous like what kind of child were you besides this kind of devout yeah. child but like what right. were that was there another side to it also uh, there was a huge side my <laughs> my dedication love and discipline for spirituality was on all time high it still is but my uh, me as a school student was all trouble <laughs> i was you know like officially given notice of suspension multiple times because, <laughs> because they they think uh, they, they thought I'm, i create troubles uh, in school and i did you know for example uh, there was a mountain near our town and it had a itching plant which means the leaves can cause you itch all over the body so i would send a friend to the mountain to get the leaves and i would sprinkle the leaves on you know the desk of teachers oh and uh, <laughs> our sister i went to catholic school right so sister thought uh, it's a terrorist attack <laughs> she thought oh my that's God. what's happening and that's when i stopped <laughs> doing it i'm like oh maybe they'll shoot me one day <laughs> so i did that i would you know uh, i had done lots of stuff and i i always had problems with school teachers always so what would happen when you'd come home like these teachers who would always be like when's your dad coming back when's your dad coming back were they nervous to kind of send you home with this discipline like nervous I, your parents would there were different groups the ones who would give me suspension notice they were the ones who who didn't want to see my dad you know <laughs> the the ones who really loved me uh, they were the ones who wanted to see him and it was for them i wouldn't do crazy things also that I, because i knew they believe in me so those teachers were my you know supporting system which were which were few uh and i had like super serious troubles with with uh, teachers i mean they would they had actually written you know letters to the principal that this guy cannot be promoted to the next class but i would have such a high gpa they couldn't even hold me back so there was and i was always so you're just causing trouble and you just yeah. have a problem with their authority was it i think so it it was always like that i mean for so many years it did you feel be. smarter than them I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Sounds like a I, classic case. I believe so. I mean there was a point I was in 12th grade and I had such a you know intense uh, you know situation with my school teacher again he said he cannot be given the permission to take exams for 12th grade. Uh and principal called me and I was you know she said why why you are doing this? And I said uh, she said you are not coming to classes and I said I've not been coming to classes for 2 years but I've been taking private tuitions from him. and now he's complaining because i stopped taking private tuitions that's the problem and this is what why it's happening and she got angry because that that was a truth in those days you know right. students don't need to come to school but they would pay the teachers extra for private tuitions it was a whole business you know so she got angry and she said why don't you sit here and, and run the school looks like you, you, you know you you think you're smarter than me i said i'm not smarter but that's why he's doing it <laughs> so there were intense situations like if, there was no middle ground it was either suspend him or he's the best student and the teachers who didn't like me they would be surprised why would anyone you know call him a good student because he's he's just trouble <laughs> have you seen or spoken to any of those teachers now no i think uh, do any of them know where you are now in life they they all know they all know i mean so i do, do speak to the teachers who were very good with me you know we are still in touch so i constantly thank her uh, she was my, my english teacher so she uh, she remained our like class teacher for 2 mm-hmm. years so you know i'm so close to her uh, but the ones who i saw one teacher who really i had very intense situation with her and i was all i'm all compassion <laughs> and love now so i sent her a facebook request i saw her on my facebook that you know maybe i'll add her i'll, I'll give her like thank you she didn't add me <laughs> she's like i can't too much <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that's the, so I, on one side i was this dedicated spiritual kid who would meditate for hours who would listen to 
everyone who would guide everyone but i at the same time i had huge problem with authority it it's less now because i don't i think i don't care much now uh but yeah i, I would take it very personally at that time so how does how does one's parents were very spiritual handle situations like that so i would my parents hardly would get to know it i mean i had never let the news reached out to them so oh. even when i got the suspension letter they said your father has to come to school otherwise you cannot come i said he won't come and they said he has to come i said he won't come because <laughs> oh you were really i love it you went to the bitter end with this <laughs> and you know because i saw my father he he's such a loved man he's such a nice compassionate kind guy and they are going to bully him when he, they call him to school they are going to tell him all the crazy stories and i wanted him to come to school for something good i do you know not for not to listen to my you know craziness and i i, I love I, that you've turned the story into you were protecting your father <laughs> right <laughs> that's how good of a kid i was <laughs> right. so i i i i literally you know in my head i was like my father will not come here for this i mean if they honor me someday then i'll call him <laughs> and i used to watch movies you know which which would and courage this this rebellious behavior you know one of my favorite spiritual teachers osho he he was such a rebellious teacher also yeah. and my grandpa was very rebellious my father also is but my grandpa was very bad as rebellious teacher so i think these people in my head they inspired me that you know what you don't need to bow down now i don't care honestly unless it's super injustice that's happening right. but yeah in those days even if someone raises the voice at airport i'll stop i'm like why why did you know do you talk this way <laughs> and my cousins all the younger cousins they 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 were like nice he's you know he's so rebellious and now i keep telling them please please be, be compassionate <laughs> please behave and they like we learn from you when so when do you think that switch happened for you I think switch started happening uh, uh, probably around high school after 12th grade also I lost my sister in in 12th grade you know she she passed away and I started realizing the importance of life and death you know I started seeing life in such a different way I did you know overnight lots of changes happened you know my spirituality uh started having a different meaning like i was always this meditative kid but i was doing it for fun you know like i would travel with my dad you know create notes for his clients so it was fun watching their journey but after her death i started questioning the whole science of god death relationships that what the heck you know it is and i have been this kid who was in his own world you know uh, and you could see i didn't, didn't care of losing a relationship because i was like i'm never going to lose important people and that's why i would be so strict with these people that you know i don't care but losing her was such a you know game changer in my journey i realized life is fragile and you can lose anyone anytime and you need to be you need to honor the relationships in your life so i started becoming very humble and even if i've started meditating on gandhi more so you know gandhi has this mantra that if someone slaps on your left cheek you know turn the right cheek so that he can slap you once again <laughs> i literally didn't do it but <laughs> i i would meditate on his compassion you know buddha's compassion so the, the uh, before i was into goddess kali i'm i still that's still my you know goddess to meditate on but buddha also became a major part in my journey and i think that experience helped me open up in a big way to my family to my friends and i realized you know if you love someone you got to let them know that you love them before it's too late so that one incident it started adding to my journey my meditation my purpose the meaning everything literally shifted so that death really changed things and for she me she was sick correct for she was sick for a long time yeah, for i was 16 time. year old she was 19 and then 3 years later i lost my best friend 
who was, you know, my uh, people thought we were brothers because we grew up from first grade since since forever. Like we finished high school together. Then I came to U.S. He remained in India. So these two deaths, I think they they just shifted everything I thought I knew. Like you asked me that, did you used to think you're smarter than them? Yes. And I realized I'm not smart. I don't know anything because I just lost two very important people in my life. And how do I make sense of this life and death now? So those few years, they were very haunting. You know, uh, I lost my sister when I was in India and I lost uh, my friend when I was in New York. I was working in New York. I was going to college. I, I did very bad in my political science class. It was very one of the classes I loved. But I did very bad. And professor, you know, he got surprised. He said, you you did good. What happened in the last exam? Because, you know, it was around the, the, the news sure. came to me. And he said, I want to give you one more chance. So when the next semester starts, take this exam again. And I said, I don't want to. Give me C plus, C minus, whatever it is. And he was surprised. He said, why do you want C plus? Or, you know, you can get A, A, A minus easily now. I was not interested anymore. I would leave home for a job. I wouldn't go to my office. I would just sit in, in Central Park. And I just lost the whole meaning in, in doing anything. I was like, if this is what life is, why the heck I'm, you know, in this rat race. But interesting, but you still had your spirituality. You mm -hmm. were just questioning it differently. It didn't yes, make, or did way. it make you Question, pull away from spirituality in general? It, it doesn't not, feel like it, right. That's interesting all, though. Yeah. It just I, made you look at it at a different angle. In a different way. I did question, you know, God in a big way. Uh, but it, it, it had never doubted the existence of divinity, but I knew there's something more to it because it was almost like your illusions were broken. And talk about the religion you were raised with and what right. God meant for you a little bit. You know, I was raised in Hindu family, right? And uh, but my father, you know, he's he's a very open-minded you know person. So there were Hindu schools in our town, but he never sent me there because those were not good schools. He sent me to Catholic school, so my days would start meditating in church. And in addition, I would go to Dalai Lama's monastery, which is Buddhist. In addition, I would go to Golden Temple, the most popular temple in India. It's a Sikh temple, Sikh yeah. religion. And uh, my father, you know, he would tell me stories of when he lost everything in his life. He went to this mosque. It's a big mosque. Uh, close to New Delhi. And he said, that's where I got back everything because it's such a powerful you know, place. And uh, I started going there uh, with him. So as a kid, I was going to a Muslim mosque. Buddhist monastery, Sikh temple, Hindu temple, Catholic and, and school. Catholic school. And my friends would ask me, you guys are Hindu. Why do you go to mosque? Why are you going to Sikh, Sikh temple? Uh, but that's just our, you know, our family is. Uh, so there was never any Hindu dominance. Um, and still there is no uh, Hindu So how dominance. do you feel like if you could kind of describe in your head what religion was to you then, mm -hmm. not now, but back then, with all of this influence, what was it? Mm -hmm. Back then, religion was mainly, I think, just a doctrine to, you know, to, to follow, honestly. I remember... I would go to temple with my nani, my grandma, every every other day. And what I learned through religion was just how to stay in discipline, how to do your prayers, do you know, be a good person, do good things, be fearful of God, all all those, you know, pretty standard things. Uh, but the religion also teaches this is right and that's wrong. And sometimes it can uh, corrupt you, you know, because you feel this is right because my religion says so. But moving from uh, religion to tantra, was such an eye-opening and I realized religion is good. It's a good constitution, 
but you also got to you know understand your spirituality beyond religion and then still you can re- use religion for your own good i mean i still tap on to all the teachings of you know christianity islam buddhism hinduism sikhism because these were the religions i really grew up with five religions it's amazing i mean that's what's so incredible <laughs> it helps me connect with everyone today honestly because i i understand you know where they're coming from and so then when you were going through these deaths do you feel like it was more the religious part of you shutting down or was it just simply like i i need to figure or were you actually finding your own spirituality for the first time that's a good question i think religious part definitely got shut down in in the in this phase because i realized just by going to temple going to mosque and doing your prayers is not the main thing there's more to it and my meditations were nice and gentle but probably i was just on the surface and never got to experience the truth so the first death was very shattering i remember i i was surprised i was confused i was in denial but i remember when i heard the news for the second death my friends the first thing i did was going to my meditation meditation you know altar in my place and i lit the candle and i sat in meditation that's the first thing i did and i sat for like 1 hour i didn't i cried but i also meditated that night so there was this big leap that i had taken you know in 3 years from just being in denial and angry i realized that he's not gone he's just gone the way i used to see him and feel him now he's here there and everywhere so my perspective of looking at them shifted yeah that's incredible yeah. so then what uh, the thing i know about you and i'm sure a lot of people who know you know about you you had a weird left turn in here like listening to these incredible stories where right. you've had these amazing things happen to you as a child <clears throat> you were raised with already these incredible spiritual teachers around you you left did all and chose to go into like basically Wall Street and right. finance in right. New York. So why what was behind <laughs> that because normally it would be the opposite like you're ignoring your you know but it's it's like you embraced your calling weirdly like you really embraced mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and then still chose to make a left turn. So what yeah. was that about? It was you know it was it wasn't a conscious decision it was just a blind rat race. So in India you have to choose your major in high school. So I picked uh, business and finance in 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 high school and then I came to US. And it was just you know you have to study right so I just blindly picked uh business and finance and i'd never enjoyed that process in in school i started enjoying college life when uh, i started writing spiritual articles in a business newspaper <laughs> you know and it was first time they were having something you know like that a spiritual column in a business newspaper so it was getting you know very interesting exposure and uh, i did not leave spirituality it was still such a part of me in college uh, and the reason i i decided to work in wall street because i thought i'll make enough money to fund break the norms break the norms was always you know in my heart and i thought i'll stay here i'll make good money through stocks and i'll invest the money after 10 or 15 years and create this you know great spiritual school for people and it didn't you know it took me just 3 years to realize that uh, if i stay in wall street for 15 years i'll use uh, all the money to hire board of therapists and spiritual gurus <laughs> to fix me because i think i'll be unfixable probably by that time so i I then I had to just you know end the journey it, it I ended it in 4 years I think yeah Do you feel like I mean I I know you probably believe everything happens for a reason but do you what do you feel like you got out of that that turn that left turn that kind of 
being part of the rat race for a little bit. Right. I think, first of all, I learned it was a rat race. And I think never, ever in my life I'm going to, you know, follow a rat race again. Uh, Secondly, I realized happiness lives within. I think I had to go through that messiness because maybe if I wouldn't go there, I would still be thinking, you know, my friends work in American Express. My other friend is in hedge funds. And I'm I'm just talking about spirituality, you know. (laughs) So probably that experience was needed. So you had uh, confidence in, exactly. in knowing you were doing the right thing for exactly. you. Exactly. And even in college, all of my acknowledgement, appreciation, my name, my popularity was because of my spiritual work, because I started writing. Uh, so every prof- every other professor, school students, ev- I would have appointments, by the way, every day, free appointments. I never thought of uh, obviously making it as a profession. So I would have, you know, setting set times that I need to meet Professor Erin at so-and-so because she wants to talk about stress. And I have some economics <laughs> questions from her it was a trade-off they will explain me the economics and the business and then (laughs) I'll I'll be teaching them meditation and why they're stressed out and stuff but I never realized why this is so effortless and why working in business and finances is is an effort but why talking about spirituality is effortless to me it it didn't occur for a long time and also how interesting that these teachers were seeking you out like it's interesting that they were finding you which is a kind of abnormal relationship it was and you probably you like you said you didn't even question it because it was so comfortable for you it was like a second nature to me but you're clearly give off you clearly have always given off a vibe or something that invites people in right to have that scores with you which is very rare and unique and now I look back I realize the first six months in school in college in New York were frustrating I was like where the heck you know am I I did not enjoy that experience but after six months I got this opportunity to write and that's when everything shifted I would be happy I would enjoy every day in college mainly because I was you know, someone now. I was helping people. I had a purpose in school. I would go every day because I knew today Professor Catherine has this question on meditation. She emailed me. So it became such a fun experience. And uh, <laughs> I. it took me a while to realize I, I need to quit this and stick to what comes so effortlessly to me. So speaking of that, you left and that was to really create your brainchild, break the norms. Right. When did that start entering your your mind and your ether i mean clearly you you were always meant to live in this world of spirituality but when did this specific book and this specific point of view start brewing for you you know it uh so the idea was there but i was never confident to implement this idea and when i quit wall street i started assisting my father and i told him that there are many things you guys are not doing in a modern way so i'll introduce technology and all that stuff so that, you know, the work reaches out to more people. And he liked the idea. So I started, you know, assisting him, traveling with him. And that was a great hands-on experience. And Break the Norms would be in my head. But I was never confident to share that with him. And I remember, we, you know, he did this talk in Sweden. And that was one day I really, I was a little frustrated that it was a while, not too long, but it was a year or two, I think, that I was, you know, in his organization. And he said, are you tired? Because you look a little unhappy. I said, you know, I'm not tired, but I I feel for how long I can do this. He said, you're 22. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean for how long you'll, you'll be doing this? I said, you know, what, this whole thing, I want to take spirituality into my own way. He said, what's stopping you? I said, 
and then I had nothing to say because the answer was, I don't know. What, you were stopping you. Right. What to do, how to do it. And I remember my father's close friend, he was also there. He was managing the entire event series and he was there. Dad was there. It was 10 o'clock in Sweden. And they both just heard my idea out about break the norms. And they said, do it. You don't need to wait. And I said, is it perfect to launch? They said, there's no word called perfect and you got to do it. And if you do it, we promise you will have our unconditional love and support and we won't let you fall down. That's for that's for sure. But you got to do this on your own and we are watching you from far. And that discussion gave me so much courage. I remember I did not sleep that night. I went to my room and I opened my laptop. I started creating notes for Break the Norms. Then, okay, this is it. I'm going to launch it. It's going to be great. But uh, yeah, I did launch it right after you came back from Sweden. Uh, I opened the company. I opened Facebook page. Uh, that gave me a lot of courage, by the way. Facebook uh, page got popular and that gave me a lot of uh, confidence. And then I made the company called Break the Norms. Book was still not in the picture. It was just the a, a platform that I wanted to create. Book started happening when people started asking me that, we love how you talk about, you know, relationships, ego, sexual desires, attachments. Where can we read more about it? And there was no there was no place I could guide them to. Because it was to. yours, yeah. So I decided, to, and I was always writing. So I decided to, you know, write it all in a book. And that's how a uh, book happened. Book took, I think, the longest time because... I was. I knew I don't want to just mess it up. <laughs> I want to do do it nicely. A perfectionist, right? <laughs> so I was trying to do it in in most perfectionist way, but I'm glad it came out nicely. So if you could explain to everyone, for those who don't know, break the norms a little bit, what it stands for. I mean, it's it's pretty clear in the title, but right. still, if you could dive I, in a little bit, it stands for you know questioning everything you think you know about life, love, relationships divinity because we have such a label for everything and the moment we label something that's it we limit it like when i'm called spiritual teacher i know i'm limited right away if i'm called a friend i'm again you know in limits so I'd, i've never liked the life of labels i've always wanted to love people without labels and relate to them without labels so break the norms was my attempt to break those labels break the conditioning and help people see the true reality which is beyond the labels so you, yeah, it makes sense since yeah. you've been questioning authority from day one. Right. So it's it was there. the theme yeah. of it doesn't have to be a certain way. Right. I believe I took my anger in, in, in a more spiritual or, or compassionate way, honestly. Uh, people ask me, what was your motivation for Break the Norms? It was anger because I, I was angry with authorities that they are exploiting the people and uh, the, the religious leaders who are supposed to lead you. They're not leading you. They're exploiting you. So Yeah, a lot of times it's easier when people just follow mm -hmm. blindly uh -huh. than when people question. Mm -hmm. I mean, even to the smallest things, sometimes when I'm in lines and you see everyone's in two long lines and you look right, right and you realize it's an empty line, but no one's going there because nobody else went there. Right. And you're like, oh, God, you would have saved 15 minutes if you just would have. You know what I mean? It's I just know. everyone automatically follows. Exactly. They don't stop for a moment and question, mm -hmm. which is so it is amazing what you've brought to everyone. Right. Thank so you. in in doing that, do you feel... What do you feel people's, what do you feel the trap in spirituality is for for anyone who's kind of starting this journey? Do you feel like there is a little bit of that trap of just kind of following dogma or, mm -hmm. you know, picking one teacher maybe and just, and I don't actually want to feed you any answer. So what right. do you, 
there's a huge trap. I mean, spiritual world, spiritual industry right now is filled with traps. I mean, um, people are given a certain script. This is what spirituality is, and that's how you will be spiritual. So that's my biggest challenge or trouble is right now with spirituality because people who come to me, they come with a certain idea of what spirituality is based on the books they have read or the teachers they have been to. Uh, so they have uh, ideas about what what color your throat chakra should be, what color heart chakra should be. When I, when I tell them, chakras don't need to have any color. You assign them colors. And they're like, no, we want colors because <laughs> it gives them certain meaning, right? So uh, a path, you know, I believe spiritual path is such a simple path and it's so simple that people feel it cannot be this powerful. Just breathing can make me enlightened. Just breathing can, you know, help me achieve higher consciousness. But, but there, there are teachers, there are people who are selling a very insane, uh, mad idea of being spiritual by doing this and that, by fix, you know, by flexing your body in this way and by chanting this kind of mantra and that kind of, you know, mantra in the morning. So it, it gives people a certain complication in the head, and they feel this, this, this would be the path to truth because it looks complicated some truth is complicated probably so the trap right now is is the scripts of spiritual teachers that they're throwing on others that this is how you become spiritual and people who are who have no knowledge who have no training they're just following it out of innocence because they want a teacher you know it's it's so interesting yeah because it's it's that trap between being learned and being spiritual <laughs> and mm-hmm. how much of i know you and i've actually the first time you and i sat down and right. ever met i think we spoke for two hours kind of about this concept about authenticity right. and just spirituality and knowing yourself right. versus feeling like you have to use a certain mm-hmm. lingo or fall into a certain way or do it right. a certain way and i think you and i very much bonded right. over that so it's interesting that we're talking about it now but I remember one time you said something to me when I was asking you actually a question about, I I think I said something where I was feeling nervous, feeling like there's no way all these people know exactly that concept that person is talking about. And I said, I'm feeling this weird feeling inside that people just know how to answer the answers. They know they know what the lingo is, what they should say, what they're supposed to say about their breathing or what they're supposed to say. They've heard it so many times Mm -hmm. that I started feeling this falseness of I think people are convincing themselves they're finding these answers mm-hmm. do you remember this conversation mm, we of had course, and of I remember course. saying to you and it's very confusing for me because when I really think about it I feel like I'm really far from whatever that answer mm, is right. and you and I spoke a little bit and I would love to talk about it now a little bit about kind of the idea of what you're saying kind of what books can sometimes almost harm you even though obviously mm. it's amazing that there's such outreach right. now in spirituality and you could write break the norms and that's right. affecting so many people in a positive way right. but back to the trap of books versus just growth mm-hmm. and teacher versus just inward mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. like i would ex- can you expand right. on that a little bit see i i feel this is such an important topic right i feel spirituality is a borrowed experience you know it's a borrowed knowledge you can borrow it from a book or a teacher but then you've got to cultivate your own version of what spirituality is for you and uh, the problem is when people read too many books they just become that bookish spiritual person which hinders their spiritual growth and I, I used to make this joke in the beginning of break the norms I would ask them uh, have you been meditating have you been reading books and they, they'll say yes you know we have been reading books so I, I would tell them so for you the fee is 
300 and for those who have not read any books the fee is only $100 <laughs> and they would say why why is that i said you know because with you guys i'd i'll need to work so hard <laughs> to just you know you know get rid of all those ideas about what spirituality is and it's still a struggle honestly anyone who has read a lot who has been reading different teachers listening to different youtube videos uh constantly letting them know that om is not this mantra being vegan doesn't necessarily mean you are spiritual but they'll be like oh, but she says in that book being vegan means you are spiritual and i said i know a lot of vegans who are not at all close to spirituality and i know lots of beef eaters who are very spiritual people so that doesn't qualify for anything uh but that's the illusion you know that we need to break it's so and i think that's what you and i bonded over when right. i was you know came with the vision of the den that was my big thing too is spirituality should be for everyone and i used uh-huh. to say almost exactly what you just exactly. said like if you drink alcohol you're welcome if you're sober you're welcome right. if you're vegan you're welcome mm-hmm. if you're a meat eater you're welcome right. it's none of those make you more spiritual it's exactly. knowing who you are yourself and mm-hmm. going on that journey is what makes you the most mm-hmm. spiritual so mm-hmm. i remember so distinctly having that conversation i find it such an interesting conversation in this world as it expands and is becoming right. more and more popular right and i think again that's the that's the give and take of it mm-hmm. I, and it's it's a good thing i feel like that you can walk into you know, a bookstore and there's a whole section now for spirituality. So it is making it more accessible Uh and it's allowing people to learn. But at the same time, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. it really is trapping people a little Mm -hmm. bit and not figuring out how to grow for themselves. Absolutely. Uh, These books are becoming a bridge to reach the higher consciousness, but so many books are also stopping people to reach higher consciousness. So I think it's such people got to feel spiritually independent. That's the thing. How would you recommend doing that? Spiritual independence is dealing with your own mess, basically, you know, Uh, self-acceptance. That's, I think, the first thing. You've got to accept your ego, anger, greed, desires, attachments as a normal element of you. When you are made to feel that anger is not good, ego is not good, greed is not good, you start to hate a very strong part of you, you know, when when you are made to feel your desires are not right. And you start having this guilt. Everything you eat and do, it's with guilt because there are books around you telling that this is not the mindful way. This is the unconscious way. Uh, But no one is giving solutions. And when you follow that teacher and when you see that teacher is also doing that same action that he's calling unconscious, then you also lose the respect for that teacher, right? So then you never go that path again because you're like, you know, this whole path is corrupted. So I recommend starting with self-acceptance. You know, if it works, write down on your on a piece of paper that what what it is, what makes me me, who am I really? And that meditation on who am I, which we will do in the end, uh, that meditation is, I think, pretty powerful. Just asking yourself, who am I? Watching your labels, watching how the labels have been limiting you, the relationships in, in your life, they have been limiting you instead of expanding you. And so what yeah. advice would you give someone who, let's say, did something like actually did, you know, things they're really not proud of in their lifetime, whether mm. it be to some, you know, just, it doesn't matter, something that mm. society for sure would label exactly. yeah. not great behavior. And that's what they struggle with. How would you in the simplest way start getting them to self-accept? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been going to rehabs for 
more than three years now and I constantly, you know, see this every week there that there are people who are told you are not a good part of society. You know, you're addicts and that's not a good thing. So I, uh, they taught me a lot, the people at the rehabs, you know, they, they, they became my healer in many ways. They helped me accept, you know, my own existence. So I feel when you start this journey of self-acceptance, the first thing what, you know, our emotions are such a part of our energy, right? So I would feel, let's start with emotions, you know, watch your biggest dominant emotion. Is it anger? And if it's anger, anger is not the problem. It's the symptom of what's wrong within. So meditate on the anger, that what's causing this anger right now. If it's desires or addiction, again, addictions are not the problem. They're symptoms of something for, for a deep longing within, but you're just, you know, satisfying it with some addiction. So meditate on that addiction. And why am I having addiction with so-and-so? And I feel meditating or watching or just cultivating more uh, muscles into that whole question, why this? That helps to open up a lot of acceptance. In a weird way, it's labeling the label. So, right. Yeah. yeah so it's like getting rid of the labels, but at mm -hmm. least learning to make it just the label. Right. And so that you if can rip you, it off. You can rip the tag exactly. off your shirt. If you know it's a label, then it doesn't bother you. But we become our labels. That's a problem, right? right? If I if I'm aware of my labels, then it won't bother me. But when I become my label, when I become my story, then it's a problem. But understanding, I have a story. I have a label. I have a certain emotion. But I'm not that emotion. I'm not that story. That's a very liberating experience, I think. Do you feel in the world, like you have so many people who come to you daily that you work with, have you noticed trends? Like, is there, or is it really individual? Or do you notice like, oh God, yeah, in the last two years, there's been a lot of X or in the last six months, a lot of Y. Do you mm. feel that at all or no? Is it totally? It, it is more individual, honestly. I mean, there's definitely big, the biggest trends uh, are anxiety and relationship problems. That has never changed. And that's universal, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but anyone who comes, uh, but one thing I've, I've been seeing, definitely people are willing to question more. They're hungry for more. Same thing uh, when I experienced in Greece retreat. I walked in that retreat uh, hoping or thinking that's going to be a mild retreat and nothing too intense. But after two days, people started opening up and we started doing this 10 p.m. meditation and it would go on for until 12 a.m. or even past that, but nobody would get up. And I clearly saw everybody's hungry for deeper stuff. The Sunday classes at the den, that's how they started. And I thought maybe I'll have just a handful of people, but they are the classes that are attracting the most interesting, you know, authentic seekers also. And repetition in, in the Sunday mornings, it's, people are coming back again and again because they're sticking to that one, you know, cultivation. So I feel hunger is increasing for truth, for spiritual path. It feels like that's the beginning. At least, right. at least start oh, seeking that, and then... That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So you are married yeah. and your wife has known you since you were that kid in school, correct? Yeah, the Troublemaker? Same. Yeah. And she still likes you. Right. <laughs> I must be doing something right. <laughs> so and do you, so she's known you for a long time and you've been married now for how long? Seven years. Uh, yeah. So, I'll be completing eight. So, in, so in has December. she um, 
have you guys, do you notice the difference as far as how you relate in relationships? Like, uh, or has she watched this whole growth of you? Like, Absolutely. You know, so one thing, that itching powder, all my friends were <laughs> instructed, nobody will throw itching powder on her desk. So she was always like protected in that way. Like she didn't, I didn't, I liked her, but I wasn't like obsessively in love. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I was in seventh grade. Yeah. I'm glad I wasn't obsessively in love. <laughs> so, uh, so she, she saw all sides of me. She has been seeing all seasons of who I am and her acceptance of me was such a liberating experience for me. And I'm someone, you know, who's, I mean, if you read my book, you you will know I'm not a big fan of institution of marriage. And, um, and I thought I will never get married. I was so clear about it. And I remember when this talk started happening, I mean, she, you know, she was doing her MBA in Rishikesh. That's the yoga capital of India. That's where I do my retreats. Um, so I would go there and everybody would think I'm going there because it's, you know, it's a spiritual town. But I, I used to go there to hang out with her because she was doing her MBA there. So my father got to know. And he said, you know, you're going there constantly. And I know why you're going. <laughs> You've got to give certain respect to this relationship. You cannot be just going there, hanging out and coming back. So when the marriage talk, it because it's such a big part of Indian culture, yes. you know, you cannot be just dating. You know, you've got to put a label on that. So Back I was like, to the labels. <laughs> right. So I was like, this is against my norm completely. This is against my whole principle. And uh, I stood on that ground, you know, that yeah, I'm not going to be married, but we can continue to be in love. I was, you know, putting a rom romantic side to it. And when it got, when things got a little heated, you know, she saw it and she's like, you know what, I'll tell them I don't want to get married because, you know, it's going to create, you'll be the villain. I don't want that. And I saw such a courage in her that, you know, in that conversation, because I realized I'm the one who's just being this rigid kid that I'm not going to be married because, you know, it's my so-called principle. But she's making this sacrifice and, you know, being in India, this girl, it's, it's a big deal for her yeah. to say that. So I thought, yes, number one, I, I never never want to be get married. And number two, if I ever have to be married, it can only be for her. I, it can only be that I can break this norm. So that's how it happened. And I remember in Indian traditions, you know, we uh, have to take seven circles around fire. And each circle is a promise for something, you know, care of each other. It's like taking vows. So I remember after seven circles, I told her to, you know, do the eighth circle with me. And she said, what's the eight circle for? But I said, do it and then I'll tell you. And, uh, you know, because I hope you trust me. Let's, let's, you know, do it. So we did the eight circle. And, and I said, this is uh, for not letting our marriage interfere in our love and friendship because we were best friends. And then, you know, we became lovers. And now this institution is, you know, religion and society, they are poking their nose. I'm, I'm not liking it, but we'll do it <laughs> if, if, if that's the way. But we will never let marriage interfere in our love and friendship. And obviously, she didn't really understood the meaning of it. And her cousins, they were looking at me. What, mm -hmm. what, what are these guys <laughs> up to, you know? Uh, but in in past so many years, I have learned to relate to her in new ways, you know, and that's how I, I, I relate to everyone. I can never relate uh, to someone in a fixed label. Like I look at my father some days as a teacher, some days as a father, some days as a friend, some days as just a human, you know. So that's how I relate to her every day in every way, uh, because that freedom uh, to me and to her is so important in, in our spiritual growth, emotional growth, 
and the reason i did not like marriage or i don't like the concept of it because i saw lots of possession of husbands dominating women and i saw that in indian culture in north india i've seen so many women who were being abused by their partners in the name of uh, marriage so i was that was my you know uh, hate against the 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 institution my resistance against it so i decided i'm going to give her complete freedom she can be who she wants to be she doesn't have to do things to please me and it it's it's easier said than done you know when the no, yeah that's the rub of a relationship it's right? hard it's it's tough and when it started and i i completely realized it would hit my ego the male ego the husband ego and i but i would remind myself you were the one chandresh who, who came up with this idea so you got to do it and then she got into meditation so we were both into this you know, same vibration and then we started doing that for each other to relate to each other as friends as lovers as partners as guides as just humans and i'm glad you know we have uh, come so far and we still continue to relate to each other in that way well it's such a it's so interesting that you ended up breaking your norm which was to break the norm right. so i mean it, you actually followed your own philosophy in some ways just keep questioning so even though yeah. you thought the answer for you was mm-hmm. no marriage right. you question you kept questioning it and mm-hmm. then she came in and that's you broke it for that reason right and she's wonderful so i'm so glad you did right thank you no she is <laughs> but it, and it's interesting that she gets to grow so much because mm-hmm. from where she came from too like mm-hmm. you you guys have really shifted how you right. do marriage and partnership she that's you know the biggest gift that i've got in this relationship she tells me that her growth as a human has gone on a different level she never thought she could be a leader she could be creative person and because she was given so much freedom to speak her voice and it made her confident enough to you know lead people to you know now she works with my father and she leads a whole team there and she never ever thought she could do that like she would have like big arguments with my father that i cannot lead anyone put me in a department i'll do what you tell me to do uh and i clearly saw that she's you know she's not willing to do that or maybe she's afraid of doing that uh but it had to start with this relationship so when i started just who am i to you know possess her in my likings or dislikings so i started giving her that freedom and because she has always accepted me completely like you said she knew everything about you <laughs> since she <laughs> married you right so i got such a unconditional acceptance from her so i was like who am i to you know put her in my you know norms well, your next book should be about relationships cuz that is the best gift you can do and it's and it's right. harder said that i mean it's harder to do than said because right. you just want to be lifting each other up always and right. letting that person be the best version of themselves right. but it's hard so you should write that i'm sure a lot it's, of us it's can on benefit the cards from for it. sure yeah. oh good yeah. um what would you say if somebody what do you think what fact about you would surprise people the most i think the fact that i can be just this normal i don't know i don't like honestly i don't think i'm super normal also but <laughs> they have this stereotyped spiritual image of me which i think surprises lots of people like people do think i do not watch tv do not listen to music i probably meditate all the day and i probably <laughs> you know like as i said woke up in hospital on day one chanting mantras so they have this you know illusion or this mental image of me constantly chanting mantras and being super serious i've always loved watching Yeah, funny, what do you watch? Funny movies. You know, I was I mean Seinfeld was my shrine when I came to US. People told me, you know, to speak good English, you should uh watch news. And I did that for one day. 
because I was depressed. <laughs> I, know, because so I would depressing. want to go back now. I don't want to be here. So I started watching Seinfeld because I've always loved watching funny movies. So Seinfeld became became my you know daily. We still watch it on reruns in our house. Right, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's all the funny shows: The Office, Seinfeld. Uh, you know anything? Uh, Bre- Breaking Bad. It's not funny, but I like the dark That's humor right. in it. You know, House of Cards. So these, like, I'm big fan of. So what do stories. you think of that relationship in House of Cards? I I I think it's it's honestly normal, but I, I'm saying it because I have such a attraction for darkness in life. So it's 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 a it's a very unconventional relationship between Frank and Claire. Yeah. But I think it's it's working for them. I haven't seen the the latest season, but the first two seasons. Yes, we'll talk about it as if it's the first two seasons. <laughs> right. But it, no, it's interesting you said that because I've always been obsessed with that relationship yeah. for the same yeah. reason. I always said yes, it's not conventional, but in their world they are exactly who they need for each other. Exactly. And that's actually a recipe for a very good relationship. They are playing that role for each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like you said, if you can, they're lifting each other up and for them, what's important is that world Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. what they're doing for each other. It doesn't mean that'll satisfy someone else. I know. But it was, it's a, such an interesting portrayal it's very, of a relationship. I, it's, it's very d- dynamic, very powerful, I think, chemistry. I remember when I started watching it, I would tell Rupali, my wife, I'm I'm, I'm going to be in my study because that's how <laughs> Frank would always say, I'm going to be in my study. So, I mean, the, the way they have portrayed that. And I know there were things that started getting messier in this third season yeah, or so. Yeah, it, it's interesting. But yeah. they'll have, it's a storytelling. The they'll have to one. do that to, you know, continue the story. But I feel the first two seasons, the foundation of who they are as a couple, that's so powerful. And you have to see one thing. Nobody could harm them. No, because they were a team. They were a team. And that's attractive. I mean, right. no matter how you, no matter what, what the rules are of the relationship, exactly. I think that depends on the two people. Exactly. But the fact that they were so on the same page, and like you said, like no one could penetrate them because mm-hmm. they were the strongest together. That exactly. is so attractive. That's what everyone that's wants. That's powerful. And it's like if you're going to be with someone you mm-hmm. only want to be stronger with, otherwise mm-hmm. it just feels like it's such a waste of your exactly. time. Exactly. And you know, I have seen this in my own family. Like my father, you know, he's a very socializing person, but he has always been that person. And we have people like when I wake up in New York, I open my door and the random people sitting outside, I don't even know. <laughs> and uh, in India, it's like five times more the number of people because that's just India. And we, ha- I realized that you know these people could do anything. Like they're coming in, walking out. But my father, you know, he ha- he has this this dynamic in in four among four of us that we are strong as a team, and nobody could penetrate that you know for us. So I learned that. I mean, Frank Underwood took that on a, on a different level. <laughs> uh, but I saw that in in my own family that if you are strong as a family. You know, you could survive anything. I love that we're talking spirituality in House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Whoever, who would have thought that? Right. <laughs> but it is true. It's funny. I, it's the same I, comment about that relationship. You know, I, I extract my spirituality from these characters. I do not listen to spiritual teachers. I do not buy spiritual books. My spirituality has come so much from Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> Walter White in Breaking Bad, Frank Underwood in you know, House of Cards. I mean, these are the people who, the characters that inspire me, honestly. Also, the more flawed you are, I think the more you learn about spirituality. The more, right. and the more you can look at someone who has flaws or a situation that's flawed right. and understand it without mm-hmm. judgment mm-hmm. is actually where you gain more spirituality. Exactly. So it makes sense. At right. least to me, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if you had a, three words that you would say describe you. Oh, me. Uh, so three labels. Three labels. <laughs> so just to bring it full circle, label yourself. 
and then we'll, un- and then I we'll love take them the, off. I love the label of poet. I want to write poetry books. So I think that's something. And you do write poetry. I mean, I, if, you, if you guys are not following him, you should because he does write beautiful poetry. <laughs> Thank you. So I like the label of poet for sure. A seeker, poet, seeker. And um, how about the third label be no label? Like it's just empty. Label. I like that. Right. Just emptiness. I like that emptiness in me. Do you feel that there's a part of you? Do you feel emptiness ever? Uh, like in a good way or? However you want to answer it. Yeah. Uh, emptiness, yes. I do feel like I'm very good with living by myself. And emptiness has been such a strong part of my journey. And I've always seen emptiness. I mean, if you read uh, any books on Zen or Tantra, they do talk about uh, cultivating the emptiness because people are afraid of em- being empty. And I feel for me, that's my daily ritual that I want to empty out all the ideas, all the labels and start the day. With, over. With, with, yeah. With no labels. God, if we could all start over every day, right? it would be fascinating right. and not bring our preconceived notions. Exactly. I'm going to try that. Right. Please do that. I am. I'm going to try that. I think that's great. This has been amazing. I could talk to you for hours at a time. Thank I you. am going to ask you just a few quick questions, just like one answer things for our audience. <laughs> nice. But some of them you don't have answers for, and I already know that because it's <laughs> oh, just wow. not how you practice. But what is your daily practice? Uh, daily practices, medi- you know, it's a WPSM, wake up, pee, shower, meditate. <laughs> okay, so I start my day with that. And I, I, I end my day with meditation also. The, I like that you hold to peeing till after the shower. I know, I got to do that, <laughs> right? <laughs> or was it wake up, pee, shower, sorry. Pee and shower. I mix yeah. it up. <laughs> and I start with WPSM. Then I, I just write down the things I want to do all day. And I do not plan my next day or, you know, I do not have big plans, but I just start the day with that meditation. And then I plan out what I want to do that day. And that's pretty much what what kickstarts my day. So you meditate first and then you write your list. Absolutely. That's the first thing. WPSM. WPSM, I, I like I, it. I now I'm going to get it in the proper order. Right. Thank God, because I would have been having to hold it and it just wouldn't You don't enough. have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is one. What spiritual book resonates with you? But like, it might not be one. Yeah, none. I don't think so. Yeah, I can't come up with anything. What yeah. is there a documentary or a movie that has moved you or impacted you? The latest one, Ogja, that Netflix movie. It's about animal. It's not a spiritual. It's okay. Yeah, but it's it's Ogja. It's beautiful movie. It's about uh, you know the food industry, but it, it's it's a human story. Uh, so much about food lately I feel like it's I, definitely I was watching our comments on remember Amy's yes. uh, post you posted about food I, I also what did had, you write were you after me <laughs> no no of course oh. not <laughs> I wrote that you got to be educated vegan you cannot be just wake up and declare that I'm, I'm vegan I have been vegan for 10 plus years but I, I felt sick in the process because I wasn't educated vegan growing up in India everybody can be vegan because everything is vegan and vegetarian there but over here you got to be so mindful. You got to. I, so I wrote that you got to get your blood work done, speak to your doctor, and then then understand your body. Don't be vegan for the heck for, of it. Exactly. And that's I mean, I was also I wrote it quickly just because we're talking about um, what is it called? Get, get health. What's the documentary? Uh, what the health? What I the think. health? Yeah. Um, which I have not actually. I haven't seen, seen that either. Yeah. But I've just heard so many comments yeah. 
um, from different doctors and nutritionists actually some backlash on it, just saying it's not sound. It doesn't right. mean being a vegan is bad, obviously, yeah. but it just wasn't. It was a little bit more propaganda. Exactly. You know, it, it becomes like religion. And I like that you, a vegan, are, are kind of talking about that too. Yeah, I've never told anyone to go vegan. You know, I, never to my students, never to my clients, not even in my book, because I feel it's a personal choice and you got to make it a medical decision, you know, not, also, not think, so much emotional. Think, like you said, I, I feel like some people need meat. Like, I'm, yeah. and I'm not saying everybody, it's just you. People need meat and milk uh, and some people don't. If I have a milk latte, which I probably get from Coffee Bean now and I, my stomach will be upset after half an hour. Right. I just don't do well with milk, but I'm so attracted toward these lattes you and like, stuff. <laughs> so Try maybe like an almond. I, same thing. But I think same it's a thing. sugar, um, the caffeine and sugar that does the thing. But I'll try that. I'm probably. the same way. I don't do well with dairy. Yeah. <laughs> um, though I love it. Right. Same thing. I love it. Um, so a teacher, is there a teacher? I mean, you mentioned Osho a little bit, but that sounds like when you were younger before you kind of started forming your own. Right, then you right. said Gandhi. So is there a teacher that you kind of look to? Uh, my father. I, was, I, I figured he, that he, he has been my all-time teacher he's he's been such an authentic teacher i've been to other teachers he has sent me to other teachers and the more i go to other teachers the more i appreciate him it's like you know you have a partner and you're like fooling around but <laughs> the more you fool around the more you realize how amazing your own partner is yeah. so yeah my father remains the most important spiritual teacher and it's so nice for you because you guys have such a interesting relationship because you're so yeah, close on for so many yeah. levels mm-hmm and he's an Aries, so I love right. him. Um, if there was something you could have known before you kind of started your path and your journey, what would it be? But I feel like you were kind of born so wise that this might be interesting <laughs> no. for you. But, uh, can you say it again? So if, if, there was, was... If, if there was something that, let's say, you know now that you right. wish you knew back then when you were younger, what would it be? Because you started your journey so early. Right. I think it would be self-acceptance, probably. Because uh, my big struggle uh, in growing up years was to just be me. I always felt a misfit that I do not, when they were playing, when my friends play video games, I was, you know, just meditating. And I thought something is wrong with me. I was not happy in that skin. Uh, I wouldn't express my poetry very often. Uh, my friends would reach out to me when they had to you know, write love letters to their potential girlfriends. I would write it to them. It would work. So that's how I would know that my poetry could work otherwise I, I wouldn't express it out openly so there was a lot of expression in me that never saw the light of the day uh, so self-acceptance if somebody could have you know told me back then that just be yourself you know when you meditate do it with open heart write poetry uh, you know do your dance sing your songs nobody else has to understand it but I tried hard to fit in and every time I tried it, I, I, I came out unhappy and frustrated. So just being yourself, I think that would have been amazing. But again, it didn't happen. That's why I'm here now. You know, it, it that experience obviously had a huge motivation. Well, that actually leads us perfectly into this last practice for us that you said you were going to do because it right. does slowly teach you self-acceptance mm-hmm. and who you are. Mm-hmm. But I can't thank you enough. I always... Thank Love chatting you. with you, and this was amazing per usual. And those who are listening, I want to you know mention one thing. I've never ever done weekly meditations anywhere. You know, I started my journey in New York, but 
Den was one place. I didn't even see Den. I only met you, and there was such a trust that I was like, if I had to do it, it was again like that marriage thing. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to break the norm, it would be you know with her. So it was like that. If I had to break that norm of you know sticking to a weekly thing because it was such a big deal for me committing <laughs> weekly class. I know, but it's amazing. But it has been such a blessed journey, and Den, I Den is a place I never take for granted. It's such a it's it's a home for me. For and I sure. never take you for granted. And I'm so appreciative <laughs> of you. you. No, but you, Thank I'm you. always appreciative of our friendship, and then the fact that you trusted me that way, and the fact that you are literally intrinsic to who and what the Den is and who Thank we you. affect, and that's always so beautiful. So Thank, Thank you. you for that. This is Chandra's personal practice, where he will guide us through meditation that just helps you relax. Okay, so let's take this moment to relax, to breathe in, breathe out. And as you begin this experience, it's possible that your thoughts, your awareness, it's all over. And that's completely fine. Let's just take this moment to ask ourselves, where am I in my awareness? And let's use this question to bring our thoughts, our energy right here in this moment. And now, Start to experience a conscious breathing. Be aware of every movement of your breathing. As you're experiencing your breath, take a moment to connect with your awareness. This awareness is who we really are. You may know this awareness as consciousness, mindfulness, self-awareness, or soul, spirit, energy. Don't worry about the labels. Just be aware of this awareness and continue to breathe in and breathe out. And as you feel comfortable, Bring this awareness right around your navel center. The navel center is the center of anxiety, suppression, and also freedom, creativity, confidence. Bring your awareness around the navel center and stay there.
as you breathe in and breathe out. Just witness what's happening within you. There's no need to fix anything. Just continue to be a witness. As you're witnessing your body, your thoughts, your emotions, ask yourself, who am I? Who am I is a question to witness your labels. Just witness them. There's no need to reject or accept any label. Just witness every label that shows up. Who am I? Who am I? Continue to witness every label. And now, drop the question. Just continue to witness the silence, the emptiness within. And now, as you feel comfortable, take a moment to feel your heartbeat, to feel this present moment. Then you can open your eyes.